I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Before we get to today's conversation, I want to share just a couple of words about stamps.com. Making trips to the post office is becoming a thing of the past. You just don't need to do it anymore thanks to stamps.com. You already know that going to the post office is inconvenient, driving there, finding parking, waiting in line. But what you probably didn't know, you're paying more for postage there than you have to. Stamps.com is the better way. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, right from your computer and printer. Then just hand it to the mailman. With Stamps.com, you'll get special postage discounts you can't even get at the post office. It's on first class, priority mail, international, and more. Yes, never go to the post office again. That's why at Political Wire Conversations, we use Stamps.com. Right now, use our promo code WIRE for this special offer. It's a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes a digital scale and up to $55 free postage. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in WIRE, W-I-R-E, that's stamps.com, enter WIRE, and now to our conversation. Is political courage dead? The question gets asked a lot these days, most recently around President Obama and the immigration border control disaster. Joe Klein of Time wrote what many of us feel, true political courage is near extinct. Of course, it's not just immigration, pick any issue. Healthcare, gun control, voter ID laws, the lack of political courage is astounding. And it's taking its toll as the public's disapproval of government, Congress, and the president reaches all-time highs. So today, a small but very bright example of political courage during times of some difficult headlines. Noam Bramson is the mayor of New Rochelle, New York. He recently put a personal confession on the top of his webpage. Bramson wrote about his own complicit silence in a recent city council meeting. Silence when local residents complained that they didn't want a group home for four men with autism opened on their street. He wrote about his shame and his now public stance in favor of the group home some of his very good and loyal constituents don't want. I guarantee the peace will move you and restore, if only for a moment, your faith that political courage may not have completely died. But before we begin, my own confession. I'm not the most objective person on this topic. Not only do I have a sister-in-law who lives in a similar type of assisted living home, but I've known Noam Bramson for more than 20 years. I've donated to his campaigns, so has Tegan Goddard, publisher of Political Wire. But I feel strongly that the sinking trust in government is a national crisis, and small acts of political courage is a conversation worth having. And I'm confident by the end of this conversation, so will you. Noam, thanks for joining me. Before we get to the reaction to your piece, set the stage for me. It all began, I guess, a small class of kids won an Eat Lunch with the Mayor contest. Uh, yeah, can I say first, Chris, it's really a pleasure to, to join you on the uh, discussion. And um, as flattering as everything that you said was, it makes me just a little bit uncomfortable because, uh, you know, I, I have not used the term political courage to describe um, what transpired over the last week. And uh, I don't know that I would apply that label to myself. And uh, as you pointed out, we're talking about a circumstance and a setting that's an awful lot smaller than some of the things we, we usually associate political decision making with. So uh, just to put it in a little bit perspective, but um, uh, 
I'm happy to tell you how this all started. Um, I did have a visit with uh, a small class of uh, youngsters who have uh, severe developmental disabilities. Um, it was, uh, you know, a, a visit organized by a teacher who had won lunch with the mayor. Uh, she'd been on it at a special education PTA. And, um, you know, very moving to be with, uh, with youngsters who wonderful kids and have amazingly dedicated teachers and, and therapists. But it, it does give you, of course, a, a, a better grasp of the enormous challenges that the parents of children with special needs face every single day. And also of the, uh, the even greater difficulty of thinking about the future when kids will age out of services, when mom and dad may no longer be able to provide care and companionship, and, and thinking about how do you plan for uh, that kind of future. Uh, certainly, a lot of the parents I've known, that, that, is the, that is the question that gives them the most stress, uh, even more than the sort of day-to-day challenges of, of raising a child who may have uh, special needs. So you had this, you had this lunch and it, uh, you know, it affected you. I think uh, you wrote that you've, you know, you have these every once in a while and you, you know, you interact with uh, kids and uh, kids with challenges and families with challenges. And, and so you, you know, kind of taking that in. And then uh, I guess about the same time, there was a city council meeting on what ended up to be uh, an issue that, that you kind of linked, at least in your own mind, to, you know, the feelings that you had um, after meeting with the kids. And, and the issue was around um, a proposed group home. Before we get into the issues, and I'm going to ask you to kind of, you know, take us through, you know, what are the issues and what really, you know, was the discussion about, just give, give a little bit of background um, about New Rochelle. Um, I, I guess I actually don't know how far it is from New York. I'm assuming it's about 10 miles from New York. It's about 75,000 uh, people. It's just north of the Bronx. Um, what's the demographic makeup? D- describe the community. See, it's very dangerous. You see, I'm professionally obligated to tout my community's virtues, <laughs> so I'll, I'll try to limit uh, my instinct to do that. We're, we're, we're the seventh largest city in New York State. We have just shy of 80,000 people. We're an inner ring suburb of New York City. Um, at our closest point, we're less than a mile away from the Bronx border. Uh, exceptionally diverse by, by every metric, uh, human diversity, socioeconomic, land use characteristics. Um, portions of the city rep, uh, resemble classic suburbia. Uh, others are more uh, dense and, and urbanized. Uh, so we have a, a little bit of everything here. And um, it's a place where I've grown up and very proud to raise my own kids. How long after the lunch with the kids was this city council meeting? Very close. Uh, I, I don't remember the exact time frame, but it was all really in the same sort of, you know, one-week period. Uh, and in, in a certain sense, what we experienced here in New Rochelle will be very familiar to uh, lots and lots of other communities. The, the process by which a group home is proposed and the reaction from neighbors uh, has, um, you know, a striking similarity wherever you go. Um, almost every proposal for a group home uh, generates very significant, often emotional concern uh, among residents nearby who will be concerned about the, the character of the neighborhood, about uh, traffic levels, about safety, about property values, about destabilizing um, uh, areas that have a, a strong residential character. Um, and those concerns and, and many others uh, are often expressed in, in very strong, forceful terms, and there is an expectation among many residents that uh, their leaders, whether in municipal government or elsewhere, will do everything possible to 
shield them from what they perceive as a, a threat to their investment in a home and their quality of life and their safety. Had you seen this before around group homes and, and that issue? I mean, I'm sure there are all sorts of issues where people don't uh, want things happening in their neighborhoods. But did, had this come up previously for you in New Rochelle? Uh, yes, although it's been a few years, and uh, I had a somewhat more direct exposure to it in in this instance, just because uh, of the nature and high attendance at this particular meeting, and also a prior discussion I'd had with neighbors, you know, literally at the street corner. Uh, in uh, in front of the location where the group home is is proposed, uh, and by the way, th- this would be a, a home for four young men with uh, with autism, um, and there are about uh, 20 or so group homes in New Rochelle right now, and of course, plenty more uh, around the region. I mean, this is the alternative to institutionalization. It provides community-based living for individuals with. Uh, uh, a range of disabilities, so uh, as much independence as their circumstances and abilities permit. That's the idea. And and talk to me. What about the the tension between the rights and desires and goals of local property owners and homeowners versus the law and versus what uh, you know the state state regulation and and what the government says? How, how does that tension play out? Well, state law very strongly promotes group homes, and essentially. Uh, sweeps away the zoning authority that might ordinarily allow municipalities to uh, say no. Um, so in order for a city to uh, reject a particular group home proposal, it must do one of two things. Either uh, demonstrate that there is already a, a saturation, an over-concentration of similar group homes in that area, uh, such that the, the character of that area is significantly impacted. Uh, that's a very high hurdle to overcome. And I'm told that uh, there's no, there's never been a successful challenge on that basis in New York State. Uh, the other thing that you can do is uh, identify a specific alternative site within the same community that has uh, the same characteristics as the site that had been proposed. And if you do so, and it's acceptable to the state and to the agency that's opening the group home, then uh, the home moves to that alternative location, but without any opportunity for the neighbors of that area to object or express their uh, concerns. It's sort of an automatic shift, uh, which, as you can imagine, would create a, a host of other uh, potential challenges. And so what happened at the meeting? Who who were the folks who kind of came up and, and talked, you know, didn't want the, the group home? Do you know them? Have you, you know, had you, had you interacted with them? I mean, you've been mayor for, for quite a while. Um, how did the council react, and, um, and, and how did you react? What did you say? Well, just one small clarification. It wasn't a, a meeting of the city council. It was a meeting held for this purpose within city hall. Ah, okay, um, thank but you. But, it, yep. it, it, you know, probably not an important distinction. Um, it was a wide cross-section of the neighborhood. Um, I've known many of the people for close to 20 years, uh, others uh, meeting for the first time. Um, and I, I, you know, I want to be clear, and I tried to make this clear also in the comments I posted on my website, that I'm not picking on those folks. Uh, these are, in fact, very good people, community-minded, uh, strong, healthy, close-knit neighborhood. Volunteers, uh, many, right? Pardon? Volunteers, right? Yeah, lots of people who are volunteers, who are supportive of, of charities, many people who have children or grandchildren that have severe uh, disability. So uh, it, there was nothing unusual about this neighborhood's reaction. It was um, it was a fairly 
typical reaction that I think you would probably see in the vast majority of neighborhoods and in the vast majority of communities. And at least to my mind, uh, illustrates the degree to which the very best people, when confronted with limited information or perhaps partially false information, uh, in an emotional context, uh, faced with the dynamic of a crowd, which as we know can sort of sweep people along, uh, will sometimes take positions that, that I would say are, are inconsistent with what they might do if they were reflecting carefully on their own and laying out facts and values and community priorities and trying to reach a more temperate judgment. Uh, so the, the conversation kind of gets swept away on this tide of group dynamics and, um, and emotionalism. And before long, you really have a, a very intense demand uh, for something to be done to protect us. Um, now, it's got to be said that this notion that there is, in fact, something to protect the neighbors from is not grounded in any kind of objective reality. Um, just as every group home application almost always generates significant concerns, once they're up and running, they almost never have any significant problems. And people often find that, uh, in fact, almost always find that the fears they had prior just don't materialize. So the, the, the moral calculus would actually be much more difficult if you could substantiate that property values went down or that safety were compromised. Then, then you would really have a very difficult set of competing values to, to balance out. But the reality is different from the perception in that the presence of a group home does not seem to have any negative effects on neighborhoods whatsoever. And, and what did you feel as uh, you know your your constituents and, and people who you've known and, and who you respect uh, were arguing against this? Um, wh- what did you feel, and and more specifically, what did you say? Well, um, you know, as I as I wrote in my post uh, at this particular meeting, I didn't say anything at all. Uh, I, I observed the proceedings. I listened carefully to. Uh, to the comments that were made, I watched exchanges between the residents and the agency that was proposing the group home, as well as uh, one gentleman whose uh, son was going to live there, who spoke with, I thought, just enormous grace in an enormously difficult context. But the bulk of the session was devoted to, to concerns and complaints um, and objections. And uh, I took it all in, um, uh, finding myself feeling as though the specific arguments being made against the group home were not really what was driving people's opinions, that the opinion had come first, were against this, and then the specific arguments were being backfilled in. And if the particular siting of the home had been different, if the street had been different, it would be a whole alternative set of arguments that would be made with equal fervor uh, to get to that same conclusion of, of no. So that was one impression I had. So oddly enough, the the hearing reinforced for me, crystallized for me the sense that the objections, in my respectful opinion, were just off base. Um, but I also felt, as things wrapped up, a, a kind of sense of shame for myself because even though I was having this reaction, feeling as though uh, the the neighborhood's approach was was not one that that in the end they would be proud of looking back on it. Uh, I didn't say anything, um, and that that was and still is the path of least resistance. Um, 
and I, I felt as though I sort of let myself down and, uh, and let my constituents down, including those who might disagree with me because there's something to be said for people in a position of public leadership speaking frankly and honestly about um, issues and challenges that impact their constituents. Uh, and I didn't do that, and, and that's something that I wrestled with in the days subsequent to the meeting. And in fact, you wrote, uh, and I'm quoting you, but those regrets will pale in comparison to what I feel when, when it, in, in comparison to what I felt when the meeting concluded. Shame. I was ashamed of myself because I simply sat there quietly without saying a word, and I can't imagine a worse display of cowardice. How'd you feel when you wrote that about yourself? Uh, it was actually cathartic. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, um, you know, I think we all have the experience of, uh, wrestling with something that, uh, impacts our conscience and our sense of responsibility. And, uh, sometimes an admission of error, uh, is very helpful in, in moving oneself past that. So, um, uh, it didn't make me any prouder of how I conducted myself at, at the meeting, but it was, it was helpful for me to say it and then to pivot to um, an honest statement of what I did, in fact, think. Which you, which you made clear. And so, so then you stated, you know, you stated your, uh, your sentiment. You stated uh, where you, you know, do stand, which is, you know, went against what uh, uh, many of those constituents had argued for. Um, and you put it out there. What, what did you – did you expect any reaction? I mean, I, I guess you surely must have expected the local residents to, you know, be angry, maybe call you a traitor, you know, be, be very upset that you, you know, didn't say anything at the meeting and now here you are coming out against them. But, you know, what, what kind of expectation did you have? around uh, what you had written? Well, uh, A, yes, exactly what you said. I, I suspected that um, there would be a, a harshly negative reaction from residents who would regard this as a, as a form of betrayal. Um, and then I thought for others, the reaction would be um, indifference uh, because, look, let's face it, uh, I, I don't Aside from my mother and my wife, um, I'm not sure all that many people particularly care what the mayor of New Rochelle is posting on his blog. And often your wife, Katie, I mean, she's pretty indifferent as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> truth be told, the answer to that is yes, and I, I don't blame her for it. Um, so uh, that's what I expected. I expected uh, for those who cared, I expected it would be negative, uh, and for others, I expected there would be indifference. Uh, and yet I... I I really almost sort of as a personal act of, of conscience um, and perhaps penance for the earlier silence, I, I, I concluded after soul searching that I simply wanted to say what I thought uh, and that uh, it was important for me to do so. Uh, the, the, the actual reaction was quite different from, from what I imagined. Um, uh, my guess is that some folks in the neighborhood, perhaps many folks in the neighborhood are indeed um, uh, upset or, or, or disappointed, but uh, the, the volume of uh, emails uh, that I've received and the degree to which uh, other organizations, whether within the Rochelle or beyond the Rochelle, have sort of picked up and, and posted, uh, reposted um, my comments came as a, a complete surprise. I, I've probably gotten more feedback to this, definitely gotten more feedback to this than, than anything I've written or said in the nine years that, that I've been mayor. Uh, and the comments have been sort of a, I don't know, 50 to one ratio of, uh, of positive to negative, often very, very moving. Um, people 
who I know only a little bit or don't know at all, sharing with me quite moving descriptions of their own families and their own thoughts about government and, and leadership and their own communities and neighborhoods, sometimes experiences with group homes that have been close to where they live and, and how things had worked out. And it, it, it was a, it was a complete surprise to me. And, um, you know, I hope very much that some good will come of it. If it leads a few people to pause and reflect on what are the things that, that each of us can do in order to create a more decent society? What, what are our obligations to one another? Um, how should we consider choices of this kind? Uh, then that would have certainly be uh, a very gratifying and unexpected result of this. You know, I, I think part of what brought this to another level, obviously the, the emotionality around a, a group home and, and just the topic and, you know, and the kids and, and now the adults and what they're going through, you know, clearly that sets a, an emotional stage. But you also kind of raised it, I think, to a, to a different um, level, an, an additional level, not necessarily a higher one, but certainly an additional one, which tied it to a, a, a national issue that I spend a lot of time thinking about, and, you know, and I'm very concerned about, which is trust and the massively declining trust in government. And, and you really tied your own action, I think, in, in, in your thought process to that and, and to the cost. And you, and you wrote, and, and I think this really kind of rings through, um, because there's a cost to all this, I'm, I'm quoting you, to the cycle of too many politicians pretending to fight for people while really serving only themselves, elevating expediency over conscience, issuing nice-sounding assurances in exchange for applause, until eventually reality overtakes the empty pledges and then faith in public leadership slips just a little lower into the basement. After two decades in public life, I'm neither naive nor, nor pure, but there comes a point when someone has to say enough to all that, and I guess this is my moment. Silence is complicity. Do you think about that? I mean, were you, you know, those, that's, that's powerful stuff. Um, I, I guess, you, you know, is that what matters? Are, are the small actions of uh, politicians and, and government officials and leaders, is, you know, is that what matters, and, and does more thought need to be given to that? Yes. Um, and look, I, I, I don't want to be sort of grandiloquent about this. Um, there are all sorts of things that lead to declining trust in, in public life, institutional issues, questions of the media, questions of uh, uh, the partisan nature of our politics. So there are many pieces to this puzzle, but I, I think what I described in that paragraph you read is, is part of it. Um, and it is. It would have been so easy in this context to simply stand up and say, I'm going to fight for you, neighborhood. I'm going to do everything in my power to prevent this home from being located here uh, because you elected me. You asked me to do this. It's my job to stand up for you, and you can be sure I'm, I'm going to be at your side. Uh, knowing all the while that uh, it would be a completely empty assurance because – uh, under the state law that I described earlier, the group home is going to go there. So the, the, the end of the story is already written. Uh, and, and making a pledge like that is really all about promoting myself rather than actually serving people or helping people to come to grips with a reality and, and engage that reality in a more constructive and, and positive way. And I, and I think when reality catches up, uh, that's when, um, 
that's when you you really run the, the risk of greatly increasing the cynicism people feel about public life, about uh, people in leadership positions, and and I think that's that's unhealthy. So, um, and I, I, this is going to sound a little corny and, and, and saccharine, but you know, there's a kind of a, a sacredness to, to to being in a position of leadership. It's an amazing thing when you think about it, even the kind of the little level of being uh, the mayor of a you know, a medium-sized city, you know, the idea that people have put their trust in you to be a custodian of their, their homes and to some degree their livelihoods and uh, their safety, their, their environment, that's, that's a remarkable thing. And I, I think what we owe people in exchange is, is honesty and treating folks as adults and reasoning through questions in a way that's, that's straightforward and acknowledging trade-offs and compromises and trying to animate conversations with a sense of what are the values that we're striving for together. And, and when we fall short of that, um, I think in the end, we, we let people down. And I, I think everyone in public life has certainly fallen short of that standard from time to time, myself very much included. But this was a moment, I guess, where because of the, the clarity of it was, at least for me, such that um, – and, and, and my complicity, as I said earlier, by not saying something, which gave me an extra impetus. This was a case in which I felt like, okay – uh, I, I, I want to say something, and, and whatever the reaction, uh, I'll be able to sleep better at night. And as it turned out, as we said earlier, the reaction has been an unexpectedly good one. Yeah, well, the the reaction, I think, is, is around not only the stand that you took, but also um, uh, about the conversation, this type of conversation about what is it to be a leader? What does leadership mean? Where is leadership perhaps going wrong? And, and you know, your, your own, you know, honesty around ways that you, you know, that you have recognized that, you know, you didn't always uh, make every decision that you've, uh, you know, looked back on and, and felt was was exactly uh, the way you wish things had had turned out, um, you know, it, it's a it was a it's a small but uh, in in my view bright point of uh, you know if you don't want to call it political courage, we'll we'll call it a little bit of introspection and and a view of what uh, maybe could be done to uh, you know to help you know reestablish some trust in government and uh, some some connections in our communities. Noam Bramson is the mayor of New Rochelle. Uh, you can read his post at noambramson.org. Uh, Noam, thank you as always for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, well, Chris, it's it's an honor. You've um, interviewed a heck of a lot of people who are more interesting and accomplished than me, so it's just a, a pleasure and honor to be part of the conversation. Well, anyhow, thanks uh, thanks for your time. I'm I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations.